Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, good morning, everybody, and thank you for being with us again today. At this hour, real estate sales in Manhattan plunged 25% in the first quarter from a year ago as the new federal tax laws, stock market swings, and a glut of luxury condominiums spooked buyers. Sales in the first quarter posted their largest drop in nearly a decade and reached their lowest level in more than six years, this according to local marketing reports. We will discuss all of this this morning. Also at this hour, Clipped Wings, that is how the Bird Street Celebrity Enclave is looking as it falls from its lofty perch in Los Angeles. The LA market is starting to feel the impact of the current flat market and time will tell where that will land. And when you think of ultimate New York City apartments, Manhattan penthouses have to be pretty high on that list. But why and at what cost? We're going to break all of that down. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. So in the news, clipped wings, as I said before, that is how the Bird Street Celebrity Enclave is looking as it falls from its lofty perch in Los Angeles. Many high-priced spec homes in one of Los Angeles' most exclusive communities are languishing on the market. Agents are struggling to sell an increasing number of these homes, forcing sellers to slash their prices. An oversupply is growing, they say, and yet construction continues. As of Friday, 15 of 24 homes listed for $5 million or more in the Bird Streets neighborhood have been on the market for more than 100 days. That, according to analysis in the, by The Real Deal in L.A., another eight are on the market now listed below $5 million. The Bird Streets are feeling a pinch right now. They are not what they used to be, say, real estate experts in that area. Hmm, that's pretty interesting. Sluggish sales have some uh, agents concern that the neighborhood may be the first but not the last high-end enclave whose overpriced spec homes have mistimed the market. Also in Los Angeles, the luxury housing market has mirrored the temperature outside. It's scorching. Single-family homes pricing continue to surge in the high-end residential real estate market, even as sales have sagged and inventory piles up. Sounds familiar. According to a second quarter report from local brokerages in Los Angeles, again, the median sales price for a single-family luxury home grew 5.3% in the second quarter compared to the same period last year to $10 million, according to the report published last Thursday. Luxury, by the way, is defined by any home with a sale price in the upper 10% of all its listings. Meanwhile, the number of closed sales through April, uh, from April rather, through June, dropped 6.2% uh, over year to 91 homes in Los Angeles's luxury market. But in Malibu, believe it or not, things have been different. From January through March, more homes were sold despite the median sale price rising. Homes in the glitzy coastal city also only took just 84 days on the market to sell down from 118 days last year. Meanwhile, back here in New York City, real estate sales in Manhattan plunged 25% in the first quarter from a year ago as the new federal tax law stock market swings and a glut of luxury condominiums spooked buyers. Sales in the first quarter posted their largest drop in nearly a decade and reached their lowest level in more than six years, according to our local marketing reports. There were 21.80 sales in the first quarter compared with 28.92 last year. Prices are also 
under pressure. The average sale price dropped 8% compared from the same quarter last year. There is a lot of uncertainty embedded in the market right now due to current political climate and world affairs. The high end of the market is being hit the hardest uh, since most uh, since uh, most its most discretionary segment. Prices for luxury apartments in Manhattan fell 15% and sales were down 24% from the quarter last year. The median sale price for New York apartment for the first quarter of 18 was $1 million, down 1.3% from the first quarter of 2017. The average sale price was $2 million, down from $2.21 million. That's an average of 8.3% drop from the same time last year. The average sale price for Manhattan apartments per square foot was also down 6% from $1,500 per square foot uh, during the first quarter of 2017 to $1,490 per square foot during the first quarter of this year. So there's a lot of data. There's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of analysis. There's a lot of what is going on in this marketplace. We're going to talk about all of that. We have a guest here today, Fritz Friegen from uh, Halstead. He's executive director of sales and leasing. Uh, for Halstead Manhattan on the Upper East Side, where he manages more than 110 agents, as well as the day-to-day operations of the East Side office. His commitment to guiding agents and helping them reach their full potential is evident in his work as the director of the firm's professional development program and the broker specialist program. Fritz has been with Halstead Real Estate since 1992. Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about what this market's all about, and you produce an open house report for Halstead, our company, but also for the industry, anybody who's interested in reading this. And i got to tell you something, guys out there listening. This is a very comprehensive report, very uh, good analysis, and it has helped me discuss with my sellers, more importantly than buyers, but more, you know, discuss with my sellers where we are in the market, what the attendance is like at Open House, why we're where we are, et cetera, et cetera. So what I wanted you to explain to us this morning for a little bit is, you know, tell us a little bit about what this report is, how you come up with it, and and you know who sees it, sure. what, what's happening with it's it. A, it's an interesting story. Is uh, you know I, I by accident saw an email from Itzigar Ray, our manager for 99 Park Avenue, and she sent an email to the whole 499 Park Avenue office and said, guys, could you share what happened at the open houses this past weekend? Uh, you know, so we can share some information. And over the years, I saw this question repeating itself over and over again. You know, what's happening with open houses? Where's the traffic? Brokers would like to know. So. I took initiative simply out on, on impulse and created a Google form and I sent it to the whole, all agents in Halstead. We have about 800 plus agents in New York City area. And I said, guys, share with me what happened at the open. A very simple form for agents to, to complete, go straight to Excel. I was practicing with this probably for about five, six months only inside Halstead and weekly I was sharing the analytics of who is and how many people are attending open houses before it occurred to me this could be extremely useful for the industry and open it up to the industry. So fast forward, I'm doing this since October of last year. Uh, I have cumulative data for every single weekend since October 8th. My report goes out every Wednesday or Thursday and starting July 1st of this year, it only goes to my subscribers. I'm doing this through constant contact so that I don't spam 
the company. I want to subscribe. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so basically, uh, that's a good point. So if you want to get, subscribe to your list, you've got to what? Send uh, an email to you so you can put it on your constant contact list? It works kind of two ways. First of all, in my signature, in my email, there's a link for anybody oh, who cool. see my signature can subscribe, click on it, put the name and email and, and they will automatically be in. But what I'm doing to encourage the industry to participate is literally every week, not I send report to my subscribers, but also send it to every agent who plan to have an open house that weekend. And I say to them, look, here's my report from the week before. I hope you find it useful. If not, I apologize, unsubscribe, and I, you'll never hear from yeah. me again. But many people find it extremely useful. So the moment when they share their data with me for that particular weekend, they're subscribed. Mm. They, the, the, they the, the form captures their email, and from there on, they, they, they keep on getting uh, my email. So as I now, give data to, uh, to receive. That's that, smart. That was the whole idea. Yeah, that, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be smart for me to say, guys, share data with me, and I share it only with wholesale. I'm I'm giving it back. Right. All right. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about the data, the sure. analysis that you come up with every week, because you know, for for many many weeks, you know, over the past several months, we have seen zero attendance at at most open houses, if not all. Zero, zero, zero. Week after week after week, same listings, multiple listings, whatever. So. Clearly, the market is in some kind of pause mode. So, what what is what is your data analysis telling us out there uh, as sellers? What 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 are we looking at, and what should we expect? Sure. So, first of all, there are different markets here. We are talking about the, 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 all the markets do not behave the same. And just to maybe a little bit uh, downplay uh, the, 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 what you stated, um, I'm seeing. When the market is slow, when the weekend is slow, you can almost without a fail to say that above 14% of open houses had zero attendance. So, about so 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, people wow. coming yeah. when, the, when what we would consider in this market fast you would see maybe six seven eight percent of all open houses with zero attendance all others would have some so to me that's immediate quick indicator how the rest of the numbers are going to be but when i said that I, what i see in my research uh, the different markets for instance mm. let's say just the most basic comparison manhattan versus brooklyn two different markets brooklyn's on fire i in the last, what I'm doing now, so almost 10, 10 months, I think for most of the 10 months, average attendance in Brooklyn was over six people per open house. Mm. Average. Staggering wow. number. Wow. Yeah. Manhattan, in the last couple of months, if you break three, phenomenal. Between wow. two and three. Wow. It's like... This is such good information for some of my sellers. It's really kind of... <laughs> well, let me... Let, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. So, so coming to, to Tracy's comment is that, you know, in my in my... Emails and, and it goes. My report only goes by emails out. No, no, there's not a way. There's no blog. There's no website. There's nothing else. I'm trying to engage the audience. I'm trying to engage hosted agents. I'm trying to engage comp competitors' agents and asking them questions. You know, how do you use this report? Why is it useful to you? Uh, share some tricks from the open house. You know, serving food. Uh, do you wait in the yeah, lobby? Do you wait up there? What, you know, what do you do? What, let's share some some tricks from the industry. And what I found very fascinating early on is that. Some of the top brokers in Halstead came to me and say, the numbers are helping them to start really meaningful dialogue mm -hmm. with the sellers, Absolutely. that they're not alone. That's it's not just an individual yeah. case. Right. Right. I, Everybody I, else I, suffers. I, I would also so venture to say that the ones that are not getting traffic are overpriced. A lot of times. Sure. Sure. 
I don't think that it's just that the, nobody's coming out. I don't believe that. I know that that's not the mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, it's a perfect indicator that obviously the price is too high. But let me ask you something. It used to be a seasonal, in this town, it used to be a seasonal uh, marketplace. And Anna, you know, Con and I used to sit um, on the same lane at, at, in the Upper West Side office for Halstead for many years together. And, you know, we would have conversations in the middle of the summer like, oh, this is not the right time to put a listing out. I told my seller we're going to wait until fall or we're going to wait till here. This is not the right time, whatever. Today, every day, every week, every month is the right time to put a listing up. If I just put a listing on yesterday. I would have never done that years ago. I would have waited until after Labor Day. Absolutely. So again, uh, what made point, you decide to do that, Anna? Because I'm if my listings are priced properly, I'm getting a huge amount of traffic. I have listings that I'm showing five, six times a day that wow. you just put on. In this month, well, not not well. That one I put on yesterday, okay, so right. we'll see. <laughs> I hope so. But I have other listings that have been on and are getting shown multiple times every single day if the wow. price is correct. And even higher end listings, you know, everybody says the higher end is dead. Labor Day. For I that. just had a million dollar price drop on a listing in Tribeca. Three people are threatening to put in offers. I've sent out three financial statements. And then you forgetting your seller to agree to make it. And I think that's why Fritz's data is so important. Say, listen, these listings, nobody's coming. It's not a dead market. I've lived through every market. I've been doing this a very long time. I've lived through the banking crisis in 2008. I've lived through 9-11. All of those markets were never dead as sure. today's market is not dead, sure. if the price is right. It's always we're on an island. All right, we have to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about that and much more. We are uh, listening to you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America. 
at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, uh, Phil Horrigan from Freely and LeaseBreak.com, Anna Khan, my friend, who works at Halstead Yay. Real Estate and has been there for many, many years, and we're also talking to Fritz Regan from Halstead uh, Executive Management. All right, so Fritz, you wanted to make a comment based on what Anna just said. Just to recap, Anna's point there before the break was that if listings, and I can't agree with you a thousand percent more, if listings are priced correctly, and then that's a moving target these days, the traffic should increase or people should be out there looking because, you know, especially in markets like this, everybody wants a deal or everybody wants to feel like they're getting something yet not feel like they're getting robbed. So you wanted to make a comment. Correct. I just want to totally support what Anna said about the sensitivity of the pricing and how it reflects itself through the open house analysis. Not to you know say that my report only shows zeros. My sh- report shows when I share my report with my subscribers, I share complete data set. I remove agents' names, I remove exact addresses and apartment numbers, but people who look at my report can click on the link and see, well, this is the data of everybody who you know, sub- submitted data for the mm-hmm. weekend. So you can see the traffic, and it lists the most visited open house. You know, I would have 33 or 23, so there are open houses with 10, 11, 15, 20, 30 uh, visitors. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. We need to, in the industry, kind of ask ourselves, what really open houses represent? Who is coming to those open houses? And here is the kind of the... What is the meaning of life? This is a very deep question. In a a sense. (laughs) And the idea is this. I've been sharing this in my agency and my sales meetings. To come to an open house in New York City doesn't require big investment by anybody. The broker or the direct buyer. They open up in the morning papers. Oh, let's check the furniture of how New Yorkers live and see if we can come. So now, suddenly, no more looking at the paper, Fritz. We're looking okay, at the internet now. Fine, yes. <laughs> online for the open house. There are a lot of looky loos. So, so sure. you show up there. There are a lot of people who are actually maybe not in the market. Right. So to 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 connect to to Anna's statement is this: what I'm recommending to agents, pay attention not only to how many people are showing up at the open houses, but how much are you showing in between the open houses. How many people are making appointments Amen. Monday to Friday? So if those things are strong, you are perfectly well positioned and priced and you will get an offer soon. If your traffic is zero or somewhat good at the open house, but nothing Monday to Friday, you have, in my opinion, pricing problem. And also, who wants those two? Why would you even hold an open house if you have zero people coming? The agents, these are the agents that are crying that this market, this market, this market. There are plenty of deals getting done. There's volume, and you talked about the price down but the volume is 16%, so all that down. So all that means is that fewer, more, less expensive listings closed. Our market, there's doom and gloom. So these brokers who are sitting in these open houses, I'm sorry, baking cookies, we're not bakers, we're not Martha Stewart here. We're here to sell real estate. Why would you even continue to call hold open houses? You have to talk to your seller and say, you know what, if we don't lower the price, I'm not sitting there baking cookies and having nobody come and, you know, looking at my phone for an hour and a half. Over eating the cookies. The, <laughs> the, 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 point, the point is that we need to take a harder line with our sellers, of course, in our gracious way, but we of need course. to make sure that they understand what this marketplace is all about today. Because I have to tell you something, there are still many sellers out there, and we talked about one a little while ago off, off air, of mine, uh, I'm representing the buyer, but you know the seller is just out of touch, and and there's nothing and then, right you know, now we, that we can do to make that change. We might have to tell them maybe it's time for you to rent. 
Maybe this is not the time for you to sell. The people who are selling now are the people that have to sell, and they are selling at the market price, which if we look at the history and how much the market has gone up in five years is still the best place that one could have kept their money over these years and still the best place to buy. And the story to tell right now, and I'm going out and telling everybody, this is a time to buy. And I have buyers coming out in droves and making deals. I'm making many, many deals. Mazel tov. Thank you. Mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. Again, just to comment just a little bit on this, um, I do still encourage agents to do open house. Um, It does present a certain amount of, at least perception to the owners that we are doing great deal to bring people in. But here's here's one of the interesting points from my statistics. I analyze traffic at the first open house versus other open houses. Correct. It's amazing. The premium, the premium in traffic from the first open house well, to the subsequent right. is between 250 to 350%. Wow. Amazing. Yep. So if you, to Anna's point, if you price correctly at your first open house, if you price correctly, you will have traffic that will generate an offer. How Offers will be coming yeah. in because of the <clears throat> volume of people who are seeing each other. I just wanted to follow up on that, what Frisch just said. So that's so critical because... I think the right way to price something is you should be pricing it for that educated buyer. That's who you should be pricing it for. Waiting for something new. Right. The reason why the traffic falls off so much between the first and the second is because those educated buyers who maybe lost out on a few other places or who have been looking for a while, they see it and they move on and you're just sitting there in the wind when you're getting nowhere at your second open house. All right. So moving on, I wanted to talk about, and and this is a great segue here, Pricing, it can either be art or science. And in our local sales meeting last week, our manager stood up there and, and gave oh, us a beautiful presentation on both. Listen, so, you know, my, my question is, what is it? Is it art or is it science? I, I How do we, I mean, I like what you just said, Phil, you know, you got a price for the educated buyer, but not every seller is there. And not every seller is in agreement that we need to price it where it should be. They still want that little bit of a premium, right? Yeah, I love that question, by the way, art or science for pricing, because it's literally both. Well, no, it's literally both. Um, I think brokers make a mistake when they think it's too much on the science aspect. Sure. Like I've seen brokers lose out because either their apartment's sitting in the market for a long time because they just crunch the spreadsheet, see what something sold in the building a month ago, or do a few price for square foot to put on the market. No, that's not the way to do it. And then I've seen brokers miss out on the other way as well, where they just kind of put their finger in the wind, get a sense of what's going on. And they just so you have to do both. You have to do both. I raise we my don't hand. always get it right, unfortunately. We, you know, we try. That's but, right. Well, that's that's the that's the art part. Correct. Is that we? It's not. It's it's not a science. But I think that with comparables and in today's market, you have to look at what is in contract. Forget about what closed in the last six months because those deals were struck a year ago. That was a completely different market. Well, that's what I was going to say. I raised my hand at that meeting and said it's a science because I'm thinking, you know, in my old head, we used to look at comps and we used to look at all the comparables what, what's in contract, what's going on, what in, the building closed, too, what's going on in the building, what's going on in the three or four or five block radius. And in the past, you were able to get very valid data. So after I realized, okay, so this is not really science anymore because as you just said, Anna, you have to really look today at what's in contract if you can get from the other agents what the contract number is because that's... P.S., I'm sorry, but let's just interrupt for a second. I always tell if I can. So do I. We're well, always, I, you know I, what? I, I I'm going to come too. to you, so I want to tell but you. when was the last time a seller said to you, do not share this Never. information? Never. So when I call a broker, and this happens every right. day, my seller said I should not right. share yes. this number. Yes. Such BS. And yeah. you know what? That's the value of a broker. And like Fritz's report, which is industry-wide, 
We're all from different companies here. We have to work together. That is our value. If you're a good broker, you understand that. So I agree with that. And I have the same issue sometimes when I call to get numbers and you don't. But anyway, but looking at numbers in contract or that recently, recently closed, you know that that's more today's numbers than something that went into contract five, six, seven months ago, whatever, new developments especially. So, you know, those are the, the, the places where you need to look. So where does the art come in here? I mean, is there any art to pricing at all? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I agree with Phil is that it's between science and art. And I'm teaching pricing at, at Halsey's training program. And, and the reason why it's also art and use of gut and experience and perception is, is it's very imprecise science. You know, if you send five of us here or 10 best trained brokers to price single apartment, they're going to come back with five or 10 prices. So, so it's clearly indication that the exact pricing is just impossible. We have to train agents to see what they are currently competing with, not just what closed, but what are you competing with? Because the buyer today is coming only if there is a perception of value. If they see perception of value from the original description, from the pictures, from comparing to everything else, they will come and they will feel compelled they're getting fair value for it. I honestly believe that if, if good brokers do everything that they're supposed to do in terms of bringing maximum market exposure, absolutely top marketing tools, great photography, video, uh, description, it's practically impossible to underprice the property. If you do it, the bidding war will push it back. No, oh, never, 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 never underpriced. Believe me, that'll always get pushed to it where will, will push it needs yeah. to go. Yeah. You know, but gone are the days, I think, where, you know, an apartment, uh, the two like apartments, and I've seen this in, in the same buildings, you know, one needs complete renovation, one has been totally renovated. How does that play today in the marketplace? You're going to get a premium for the renovated one, especially if it is done very tastefully and to most people's taste where it's not just so specific. I Correct. absolutely do think, and some wow views, the postcard views, uh, an unusually large private outdoor space, these are things that can kind of defy the science part of pricing. And then sometimes there's just a place that is so turnkey and beautiful and so stylishly furnished that for some people they do fall in love and maybe they do pay a little bit more. That happens less less frequently than we would like, but it does. And I guess that's the art part, right? Exactly. It's the emotional part. Yeah. It's a, Is it an emotion or a science? I would take away maybe the art word. Yeah. But it, it, an apartment, some, if, if you have two people who want it in New York City, everybody wants what they can have. Or what someone else wants. Vince, can I add something? Yeah. So I know... You were saying how it's harder to make it a science because prices are changing and they've, they're down 10% or whatever. But that can also be used as part of the science. So when we're doing our pricing analysis, I'll look at something that closed six months ago and you'll apply a you know 10% down or 10%. I mean, so what we do is the way I look at it is you look at as many, you know, 10, say 10 to 20 comps, let's just say. And for each one of those, you make adjustments, whether the market's down, the market's up, when did it close, the renovations are. And then you see what does that property tell you about the property that you're looking to price out, right? And then you kind of do this, you have 10 to 20 data points and you can see where are they all pointing to. There may be some anomalies here or there, but when we do this, I do this and I've learned over, it took me 10, 15 years to do this. It works every time. You eventually see from the 10 to 20 data points where the price should be. You know what I mean? It's kind of, again, it's, an art, it's kind of an arty science gut type of thing as well. But I just wanted to make that point that yes, you can use data. I think that's older. You just have to make the proper adjustment for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And what Halstead hmm. puts out is an absorption report. And in every market, whether it's Midtown East or Harlem or Battery Park, you can look at the absorption 
rate change and that data tells you how to adjust the six month sometimes there's a comp you have to look for three years back in order to see I've done that. What, what the pricing should Especially be there's one in the building like say the exact unit a floor below sold three years ago right don't think you can't use that at all of course an appraiser will never use it because they're not allowed they have to go appraiser can only go back you six months to that to the buyer exactly but you could use it as again one of your many data points it's never going to be the bo and the end but that could be one data point now, I have a question for my esteemed fellow panelists, and Vince, you too. Um, I personally will not take a listing that I know is grossly overpriced. I don't need to get the buyers from that. I don't need to waste my time. I'm busy enough, thank God. There are some, though, instances, and I, I put this out to you guys, because, yes, we, we can come down to, you know, we've all been doing this for long enough. We have a good sense. We can kind of properly balance the, the, uh, the art and the science part of it. But what if a seller has calculated for themselves, you know, because we are at this very fun time where buyers want to pay a little bit less than perhaps the market and sellers still expect a little bit more than the market, so it's not the, the perfect storm that we like so much. Will you take a listing and say, okay, this is depending on the price point, fifty thousand, two hundred thousand, whatever, more than I would recommend, but I will take it, put it on with the understanding in two to three weeks we're going to have a discussion and readjust if necessary. Now, would you do that? I've done that multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times. I'm hesitant to do it in today's market, much in more so than ever before. I, I may have done it in the past with a discussion that if we have nobody come to the open house, I agree. we're going to lower the price if X, Y, and Z happens, so much time passes. But in today's market, it's more of a waste of time than it ever was. All right. I sum, I sum it all up by this. The art is managing your seller's expectations while being realistic and competitive in this marketplace. No agent wants to undersell an apartment, nor do you want to get a reputation for overpricing an apartment just to obtain a listing. Yeah, don't buy the listing. Just to buy just to buy the listing. Okay, so we've got to take a break. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Uh, we will be back on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Sierra Khan, Tracy Hammersley, and Fritz Friggen. All right, so let's move on. Moving on. In New York City, signing a lease can be a real cause for celebration. You found a place. Amen. Thank God. 
you can't get kicked out for the most part, but it's also legally binds you to pay rent for its term, which means should you need to leave your apartment, you can't just walk away. So if you're thinking about trying to get out of your lease, it might not be as easy as you would expect. So, Mr. Horgan, where do people go to <laughs> get out of Yay! leases and how easy or not is it? I wonder where someone would go if they're thinking of breaking My friend has this awesome company. Leasebreak.com. Can't right. imagine. Leasebreak.com is where you can go. And I'll also mention that we're now the number one place for rentals under 12 months. So it's not just lease breaks, short-term rentals, shares. Um, in terms of, thank you. In terms of renting or trying to, trying to, you know, rent and then break your lease, a lot of times people think it's a lot easier than it is. And the reason why they do, I think in part is because the airwaves have been flooded by companies like Airbnb that talk about renting and subletting and all this kind of thing. And people think, oh, if I sign a lease, I could always sublet it or get out, I'm sure. No, do not think that. It is very difficult to get out of your lease. And what you should do, there's really two things you should do immediately. The first is to read your lease and just see what your lease says about getting out of your lease or subletting. And then the second is to get in touch with your landlord. You don't think that you can do this without getting in touch with your landlord. You're signing a contract. A lease is a contract with another party, in this case, the landlord. And if you want to try to get out of your lease, you should work with your landlord and every landlord, I wouldn't say every, but most landlords in the city have some kind of rules or regulations or how they deal with this because they're asked the question a lot during the year. And all of, them, all of them handle it differently, but you should work with them. And usually, if you could find a qualified person to take over the lease, the landlord will allow it. And that's where uh, leasebreak.com comes in. We come in at that point. Once you have your landlord's approval, then the burden usually is on the tenant to find a replacement, and so we'll help you market the apartment. How successful? Um, do, what? What? Uh, better said, what? What do you think the percentage? What do you see the percentage of successful lease breaks in in your day or week? I mean, a lot of people panic initially when they don't really necessarily understand where they can go or where they can go to get help uh, to break a lease. Uh, so, what? What is the success rate, and where, what is the percentage it's, of people really breaking these leases and moving on? I, I I know you'll hate this answer, but it, it so depends, and there's no one percentage that I can give. A lot of times, people try to break their lease when they have one or two months left. And a lot of times what happens is it just kind of works itself out. Right. Um, and as brokers, you probably see Hopefully this because they're purchasing an apartment here in New York with one of us. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Amen. Um, the, the person that has like, say, 16 and a half months left on a two-year lease, it's so difficult. I mean, these are the leases that even on lease break will sometimes languish because, mm -hmm. look, you're looking for someone to sign a 16 and a half month lease when there's thousands of leases that are just 12 months and, and so what are the chances you're going to find someone for a 16 and a half month lease that's like the perfect everything else there is, is perfect. a lid for every pot in new york city well, there you is. never know but right? so it, and it does happen and i think the best chances are on a, on a website like leasebreak.com but still it's avoiding it's not, right so it's 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 hard to savings um, a lot of times I, I get these emails all the time too where someone's like hey i want to break a lease and i'll say yeah post it on our website uh, if you have your landlord's approval and then they'll come back to me like a week later oh I got out of it. My landlord said, you know, with one month penalty, I'm out scot-free, you know? So it just really, it just really depends. I would say it seems like most people could work something out, but it just depends. 
I just want to add a comment, you know, what I'm experiencing in managing my agents and maybe it's useful for the audience here is that the terminology that's being used is, is very uh, different. You know, people are using sublet and lease assignment or lease break in a kind of interchanging concepts. And people need to know that for the realistic point of view, people is that sublet is the concept where the primary leaseholder intends to come back. When somebody wants to break the lease, Sublet is not truly an option. It could be done, but it's truly not what we are talking about. You're talking about either lease assignment or a pure lease, lease break. break. Yeah. yeah, because in some, because in some cases, because in some cases, landlords do not allow subleasing. If you need to go, you need to go. You can't, you know, have or somebody if it's come me in. Oh, and yeah. I don't, and I'm having to quote unquote sublet um, to someone I don't know. I'm still legally on the hook per the lease, and I want to be out of it. I would rather mm. break it, assign well, it to someone new. I want, to ask, I want to ask Phil: Is there, is there something in there's law about subletting that so this there is something in New York State law that says something like this the law goes something like this if as a tenant you want to sublet your apartment the landlord can't unreasonably withhold consent. withhold their consent of a qualified applicant of a qualified applicant now in practice do not take that to mean that you could easily sublet your apartment. Because if you really think about that, first of all, how do you define reasonable, Thank unreasonable? A landlord has a lot of sway there. Sure. They could Very say, subjective. sorry, we don't like your credit report. Very sorry, subjective. we don't like it. The other thing is there's timing issues. So if you go by the letter of the law, the landlord has, I don't know the exact amount of time, but let's say it's 30 days. Well, it's 30 days, but I think there's certain steps, like they might have 10 to 14 days to respond to the first request. And then there's all these steps. And again, like if you're looking to break your lease, you, you just can't wait 30 days or 10 right. days or 15 days. Yeah. On, the, on the stabilized leases particularly, the, there are two numbers that you need to remember, 30 days and 30 days. So the tenant has to give 30 days notice of intent to sublet. In writing, once right? they, in writing, and once they found the tenant replacement or a subletter, landlord has three days to respond on this reasonable or unreasonable Correct. approval. These are the two major days. I mean, and it's it's a, such a crazy game in New York City on this. Uh, look, you have a stabilized apartment that's underpriced, and you want to break the lease. Landlord will pay you to go. Right. You know, <laughs> you want to sublet an apartment and come back, and the law says you can only charge ten percent more on stabilized apartments for the furniture. They will give you hard time. They don't mm-hmm. want you to make money mm-hmm. on their apartments. Yeah. On non stabilized leases. Typically, anything goes. I, I remember a landlord uh, in New York City, won't name the names, but our, our, you know, our customer wanted to sublet it and was non-stabilized in a major building on Fifth Avenue, rental building, and you know, and the landlord say you cannot sublet. You know, the moment when the lawyer picked up the phone to speak to the company, all the barriers down. They were charging two or three thousand dollars above what they were paying uh, because there was no restrictions on non-stabilized, uh, on non-stabilized sure. sublets. You can charge whatever, whatever right. the market is. So right. don't doesn't the tenant, if it's a condominium, sign paperwork that they're the only ones that are going to live there? Because you have we, in New York, we also have the lease, but we also have the condo approval. Yeah. If it's a condo building, and in very rare cases, co-ops that are sublet. I'm going to mention What I was just talking about is not condos and not co-ops. Uh, condos strictly and co-op, rental buildings. right? Strictly uh-huh. rental buildings, yeah, and I think it's even a whole new. Another yeah, program. I think it might even be like buildings <laughs> of four units or more, or five units or more. There's some specific thing in the, in the code, Fritz. You may know, but um, but anyway, but yeah, for condos and co-ops, that's not the case. Generally, I mean, I, I've seen lawyers say that if you're in a condo and you're a tenant and you're looking to break your lease, 
you're kind of out of luck. Like you signed a lease for 12 months. Now, look, usually these owners are going to work with the tenant because they don't want someone in the apartment that's dying to get out. And sometimes the broker could help them get a higher rent anyway. Or right. Yeah, so, I just did that, yeah. Or, or they can get the lease. I'll say another advantage of breaking the lease from the landlord's perspective is often you, they can get the lease to end in the summer, which is when they want to. So if you're looking to, if your lease ends in the winter and you're looking to break your lease in the summer, a lot of times a landlord would say, great, thank you. Uh, we'd love to help you because they, the, the landlord ideally wants to have the lease end when the rental traffic, the renter traffic is much greater, which it is in the summer, and they can get higher prices usually. All right, let's move on. Back to sales. The federal tax overhaul appears to be affecting New York real estate already. Namely, New Yorkers aren't buying the past three months. Uh, marked Manhattan's lowest sales quarter total in more than six years, as we said at the top of the show, as well as the largest annual decline in nine years, according to newly released market reports for the first quarter. One of the reasons buyers are hesitant today in this marketplace is because of the recent federal tax reform uh, changes uh, from the administration in Washington. So when you are talking to buyers today who express these issues or concerns, how can we make, how do you make buyers understand that it's not the end of the purchasing world, guys? I mean, it's just, you know, one of those things, if you can be a little more creative with your accountant and with your, your financial people, it still can happen and it should still happen. Any, any comments with, with buyers? I don't think we'll know the ramifications of this new code until we file tax in 2019. Mm -hmm. Right. So, it's like having a building going up in front of your window and you're trying to sell an apartment that has construction outside. It's an unknown, and that's what's freaking people out. Once the building is built, then it's much easier because you yeah. have the known. You're correct, Anna. But in the meantime, Anna, as you said earlier in the program, it is a, it is a very good time to buy. It is the right time to buy for so many other reasons. You know, uh, Prices have come down. Prices will come down with smart negotiations and working with smart agents. Interest rates are still very, very historically low. Even historically low. So Correct. Low. But this really is a marketplace to buy. I mean, it's, it, it, it's really easy for us to say, but when you peel back you know, that, that envelope, I mean, it really makes the most sense. So if something like tax reform is going to be in the way, I suggest that you get them to sit down with their accountants and work up the numbers. Yes, it's an unknown until pro- probably tax season 2019. However, you know, working with the right people, you can sort of get an idea of where you may fall from a tax perspective. And because the prices, I believe, are really very, very good today uh, on yes. the buy side, I think it makes sense to continue to buy. We're going to look don't back at this time and the people who bought right now are going to be very good. genius. Yep. Absolutely look back on. I, I don't have a I crystal agree. ball, but mark my words. I don't either, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't either, but I would agree with that. Okay. Any other comments on the tax reform? I mean, do you hear people come and, and say, "Oh my God, oh my God, what what's?" I don't I don't hear my agents telling me that this particular buyer didn't decided not to buy specifically because of the tax reform. But I mean, let, let's look at look at it analytically now. No longer art, analytic, right? Science. Back to science. Back to science. Is it? I don't know what this is. Is there a question that certain segment of population will be discouraged to buy because now they have less deductions? You no, know, seven hundred fifty thousand is a max. Right. Real estate tax is ten thousand and a stuff certain? like that. Well, ten thousand. Ten thousand. That's a big hit. That's, I mean, a big that's a big hit. Guaranteed. But my my the basic basic answer is is on the long in the long term, this is going to pay itself off yes. this is going to you you won't even look at this you know if you're going to buy and sell in two years three years you're going to lose money 
But if your horizon is seven to ten years, oh my God, it's so going well to said. be Absolutely. strong investment. This is this should not deter you from buying. Anytime I work with a buyer, and I know all of you do the same thing, uh, you always t- say exactly that. If you're buying to flip, honestly, this is not a flip market, and don't even attempt to because you're going to get nailed. Exactly. But most Unless you're people, in some of the still developing neighborhoods in Brooklyn where you can well, buy a townhouse with lower real estate right, taxes, fix right. it up. There, there, there are certain party pockets where you can do that yep. kind of stuff. But typically, if you buy an apartment or buy an investment property and you're going to keep it five to seven years. I honestly don't know anybody who's done that in the long haul who's lost money. I mean, I really Likewise. don't. Well, agree. It well, makes total sense. Also, investment property, let's not forget, it's an investment. It's all tax deductible. So the Correct. law doesn't apply. Excellent point. And the other thing I mentioned this last week, too, is that Tell your buyers that if you're upgrading to an apartment, to a bigger apartment, right. and the market's down, say, 10%, well, if you're upgrading to a $2 million apartment, right. that's 10% off $2 million, you're saving $200,000. That's real. And even though the one you're selling, you can make up the difference. Say it's a million dollar apartment, you're losing only 100000 So Correct. you have to, you're coming it, out economically, ahead. you're coming out ahead. As long as you're in the game, you're staying but in the game. But it's that psychological Absolutely. numbers spreadsheet thing that flips people out with. And I'm, sorry, so, I'm sorry, I just have to say one thing. Like for Miami... Manhattan South, New York City South, Six Borough of New York, the no state income tax in Florida, buy, buy, buy. It is such good bargains down there. So, Southern Florida. All right. We're, <laughs> we have to take a break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back to talk about penthouses, so don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. I'm so, so freaked out. All right, everybody. We are are back talking to Phil Horrigan, Anna Kahn, Tracy Hammersley, and Fritz Friggen. Interesting story here in New York City. At at one of the local restaurants, which I will not name, I saw on Facebook yesterday, we were just laughing about it. It's been on the news. It's around the corner from my house. I saw it on the news. I couldn't believe it. All right, there you go. So at brunch this past Sunday uh, in a nice, quiet environment, some man comes bursting out of the freezer, wielding a knife, trying to kill people in the restaurant, and all of a sudden, he has a heart attack and dies. So my first question was, well, how did he get in the freezer to begin with? And nobody knows that he's in the damn freezer. And how long was he in there? I, I, think, I think the guy didn't get a little room over Parador. <laughs> Listen, I mean, you know, oh, what do we say? Only in New York. Only, Only in New York. In New York. These things happen. I can't even and, imagine. And but you want to come here and buy him. It's really safe. The best was the comments afterwards. The comments of the people who walk by, some were like, well, that's good. That's bad. It's just the, the, the New Yorker's perspective. It's, it's like New nothing York. else. Yeah. What it's did the post say? They're always very clever. Did the post Is he done yet? I want to finish my eggs. I mean, it's like one of those things. All right. Anyway, we want to talk about pen houses, right? <laughs> when you think of the ultimate New York City apartment anywhere in the world, what do you think about in Manhattan? You think about a penthouse, right? Everybody loves a penthouse. They're, they're pretty, they're high, the uh, high up in the building, they've got beautiful uh, outdoor space, beautiful, beautiful views. While more than 100 apartments had open houses recently, here we go again, they were all listed as penthouses, but not all penthouses are created equal, okay? So apparently a lot of penthouses on the marketplace. First of all, just because an apartment is on the top floor of a building does not make it a penthouse. So what does a penthouse mean? (laughs) The designation has been stretched in recent years by developers who use staggered roofs and setbacks at the top of their building to create multiple penthouses. So when I see five penthouses... Penthouse nine, penthouse ten. Correct. That to me is not a penthouse but that's my opinion, meaning you can technically live in a penthouse and still not really be on the top floor of a building, okay? So, question is, what, A, what is a penthouse for those out there outside of New York City who don't understand this phenomenon here in town? And what is the craze with penthouses? I mean, why does everybody want to be on the top of the building? Like Richard Gere said in Pretty Woman, because it's the best, darling. (laughs) It's the top. It's the best. (laughs) It, right, but 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 why? I mean, you know, we need to look down on everyone else below. But it, true, but uh, most uh, of the time uh, you, you uh, have beautiful outdoor space, which right, you sure, don't get anywhere else, say, right? Correct. That's it. And how and how rare is that in New York City? How rare is that in New York City? It's very rare. And some someone like me coming from the country, growing up in the country, who's always used to being outdoors. You know, you live in an apartment in Manhattan, although there are so many other wonderful things about New York City, you know, you sometimes crave that outdoor space. And if you don't live close to one of the parks, Riverside Park, Central Park, East River Park, whatever, what do you do? If you have a penthouse or an outdoor space in your apartment, you go and chill on the outdoor space. Grilling, right? Barbecues, friends. All right. So with all that said, how do we price penthouses compared to other units in the building? Because that's really where the art and or science come in, correct? Absolutely. Where's the premium and how much of a premium is there? Is there a premium? I mean, I would say... Uh, it should like, be, yes. Well, I think um, 
I think, that, first of all, I think it's a little ego when to own the top unit in the building. There's definitely some ego wrapped up that in pH in your you, addresses. You definitely do get that. oftentimes better views, the private outdoor space, the the elevator that opens up into your apartment. There are some very nice but things. I would just say when I'm pricing it, I don't usually put like a special penthouse premium. For example, let's say it's on the 19th floor and I'm pricing the 18th, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th floor. I'm going by a certain percentage each floor. I'm not necessarily going to say, oh, now it's the top floor. I'm going to give it like an extra premium for that. And but I if it's a real penthouse because, it's, because there's no one else up above you. No, if, it's, it right. penthouse, but yes. if there's no one else above you, and I will say that it's true, but I mean, look, a, a savvy buyer should know that there are a lot of risks that come associated with a penthouse unit. You have, you oh, have leaks, go. you have water damage. <laughs> the dark side of the you penthouse. I mean, look, I would say have you ever lived in a penthouse, though? <laughs> no, but I'd say the savviest buyers, the savviest buyers, the ones that have bought and sold a lot in the city, they usually say the best unit is the one right below the penthouse unit. The penultimate. But anyway, I'll let, I'll let Fritz I, I, and I And I want to disagree with Phil here on this one. Um, here's where, uh, where I'm coming from when I'm teaching Holstead agents about this. Um, appraisers use the formula, as you said, percentage between half and 1% per floor, all other things being equal as they go up mm -hmm. in the building. There is a premium for the perception that nobody is walking above Absolutely. you. And I'm recommending between 50 and 100K That's for big. a premium That's big. on a penthouse. Depending on the size. I'm not, I'm not talking about rate. here 10 unit buildings or even 15. We're talking about 30, 40, 50 floors, uh, stories, buildings where where being on the top of the building is is just amazing. With yeah, views, as a true with perception. I agree with you, uh, Fritz. To, to counterpoint this on the pricing of the building, it's the same discount that you would give to the ground floor apartment versus the second floor. You should never price ground floor versus second floor with half a percent of our percent. There's a huge discount to the ground floor. Unless there's yeah. private yeah. outdoor space on the ground floor. Perception of right. safety, oh, perception yes. of noise, perception of anything. Similar concept yeah. you have on the top of the building. <laughs> I do, I mean, but the only thing is, so I would say that, first of all, the ground floor versus second floor, 100% agree because that's beyond just perception. I mean, you're on the ground floor. Of course, there's a safety potential issue there. You're on the ground. People are walking by you. They can see you. They can see what you're doing. It could be in the back there's, of the building. There's a Bars, yes. There's often bars on the windows. I mean, look, I, I'm, I hate to say it, but there is like more rodent issues when you're on the ground floor. There's noise issues, the rumbling of the street. You know, so these are like real issues, not just perception. So I think I would, uh, I'll, what Fritz said about there should be a premium to the penthouse. In a hot market, I 100% agree. I, there's no question that now you're the top, there's a perception. Because in a, in a hot market, perception means so much. In a market like this, I'm not as convinced that someone's willing to pay that same premium to have that penthouse unit. I'm just not seeing as much. But um, but, I'm, but I, I would like to say the premium is not is not the same. Um, I would say on a million dollar property, the premium of extra fifty k for a penthouse is reasonable. If you're selling penthouse for you know eight million dollars, you probably get a premium of three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on the on the penthouse. I just closed on one that I sold for seven and a half million dollars. Yeah. And I mean in this market we negotiated a little bit it was down from seven point nine, I think it was, but you know, the premium is top of the building, but a real penthouse. I mean, yes. the top two or three floors with a beautiful outdoor space, magnificent yeah. views. And I got to say something, Fritz. I agree with you 1,000%. The fact that no one is walking over you to me, because I have this woman who lives above me, and if she walks over my head one more time with those goddamn heels, it's going to be over. But this goes on all hours of the day and night. And I live in a pre-war with cement ceilings, right? So wow. this is what goes on. So for me, that makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, we are out of time. That's it for me mm. today. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guest.
Fritz Fragan and Anna Khan from Halstead, as always, to my panel. Always remember how wonderful life is while you are in the world. Elton John and Bernie Toppin, thank you for that. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Thank Goodbye, you. everybody. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.